Hello, everybody. Welcome back, Exorcist Congregation. This is Tina. And this is Zoe. And this is Gaia. And you are listening to The Devils in the Details, an Exorcist fan TV show podcast where we rewatch all of the episodes one episode at a time and discuss them with each other we also explore a lot of fun facts we talk about the congregation as a whole and also a biggie is at this point to save the exorcist because we are all uh still reeling from the fact that it was canceled but we have not given up hope we are here to back up slater and company and make sure that everybody knows that we are fighting just as much as they are and want to see this show come back so thank you for listening and thank you for continuing to uh keep the energy alive so today we're watching episode 10 of season one titled three rooms in this episode, it's the big season finale where everything comes to the foreground. We've got Tomas battling the demon. We have Marcus battling Brother Simon. We have Angela battling inside in her own demonscape, as well as Tomas battling in his own demonscape dream world. So there's just everything and the kitchen sink in this episode. So in traditional form, we're going to start with that amazing, amazing opening sequence uh, for this finale. So we have uh, a, a reminder of Thomas busting in through the door and he's telling <laughs> the demon, get the hell away from them. And <laughs> it's just a really cool opening scene along with the uh, the response back from uh, the demon himself, the salesman. So where were we with this opening scene? What were our thoughts? What were our feelings? I'll stop talking. <laughs> no, so many good things. I do actually love Tomas. I think it was by this point I'd stop stop thinking of him as kind of the green little like, oh, you're a numpty and I want to hit you with a roll of paper. By this point, I was like, you know what, actually, you've grown a lot. And the fact that you've come in totally gung-ho going, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, help this family and I'm going to stand up. And then Pazuzu's all like, well, that's like, let's measure that conviction. And it's just like, splat, you're passed out. And I was like, oh, I was so on board, Tomas. I was so like, yeah, you go, boy, you go, boy. Oh, you're unconscious. Oh, dear. <laughs> let's hope you wake up soon. I felt bad for him. He got that big co entrance. I need to be like, not yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's just swatted like yeah exactly just swatted like a fly i really expected a lot more and then it was just that energy just petered out like oh nope never mind <laughs> you look like a rag doll in the corner of the room i think uh, tomas is the one character who grew the most during the nine episodes that we already discussed and right now all the pawns are on the chessboard we are all ready for the great finale. We know everything must come to an end. Every heart of these amazing stories must reach the, its conclusion. But of the whole totality of them, Tomas is the one who grew the most. Tomas is not the little lost Mexican boy anymore is ready to fight and uh, we see in this first few scenes uh, Pazuzu's biggest mistake he doesn't understand that something changed inside Tomas 
we are ready to explore and to see is awakening as an exorcist. Yeah. The, the fact that you're mentioning how things kind of come all around in this circle, you know, at all, like, and you've even talked about, I think in previous podcasts, Gaia, that's the sign of a really good writer when they're able to introduce something from the very beginning and bring it back together full circle. I think at one point in my notes, I, I noted that Slater wrote this episode, but at one point there's certain dialogue that's happening. And I just comment that I'm like, oh, Jeremy Slater, you full circling mother. <laughs> you know, like that's every single thing that he does. Like from that very opening sequence, the how far are you willing to take this? That's what the demon asks him and it full circles back to what he told Marcus when Marcus asked him the same thing just a few episodes as far as it goes and it's just this constant kind of bringing it back together to the beginning which is just it's so beautifully done and I'm like I'm just jumping off the couch at this point yeah. <laughs> so yeah. hyper so excited and also all that like all the you know it's about to get so much more worse it's that whole like they've now all of them all the storylines have got to hit the very lowest point. You know that it's going to get really bad. And you've got that fear of like, who is actually going to be walking out of this? Because at the moment, it's anyone's guess who's like, I remember the first time I watched the show, I was pretty sure that Marcus was going to die because he just had flags of like everything that he'd accomplished. He'd gone through, sacrificed and grown. And I thought he was going to die so that Tomas would take his place on the on the, on this journey Same. so i was very glad Same. that didn't happen but the first time i watched it i was like there is no way this beautiful british man is surviving this show yeah. <laughs> that's exactly oh, how i felt that's exactly how i felt for not only marcus but bennett too every single sequence i yeah. see bennett i'm like this is it he's the one that's going to be the sacrifice for the redemption to happen later but no he keeps on kicking so to your point of you know things getting worse before they get better i think that transitions really well into that next scene where we first see Tomas in that demon dreamscape. Yeah. And to remind everybody, this is where the, when he's passed out, he goes into a uh, fake Mexico, but it feels like another world and something is still off about it. So in this entire uh, sequence, what, what, where were we with this one? Marcus looks really hot in his hat. <laughs> is my first point of call <laughs> because when isn't that my first point <laughs> I, I, I like to get the shameless like oogling and like you know female gaze of Marcus out the way before I count to it with the heavier stuff <laughs> but, right. yeah, he looks very hot in this he talks very attractively which is why you know it's not real Marcus because he is so silver-tongued and seductive and even though it's kind of Marcus's thing to get right up in your personal space he doesn't normally have those kind of whispered conversations and he and he reflects Pazuzu's behavior from when Pazuzu was talking to Angela in front of young Angela Ben Daniels does the same with his acting that seduction that conviction that stripping away of Thomas's lairs to make him feel enough guilt that he can be seduced into falling into his own despair so the not showing his eyes is an easy way for you to realize that you're not meant to connect with him on a personal level because there's no human emotion in them it keeps them them lowered in the darkness so that you don't have a window into what they might really be seeing and believing until he's ready to reveal and, and then there's all there's just lies being reflected back but yeah and, oh man and the 
And the, the way he moves his head is the same way Gabriel began to move his before he snapped his neck, and the same way Pazuzu tried to snap Casey's head. It's the same beginning of the movement. Oh, neat. I didn't even notice that. And then you know that's a demon. <laughs> by the by, the neck movement. Yeah. By, no, no, they, it's real. There's there's something very unnatural about it because we, you know, we move like that, but that kind of uh, exactly, ugh. yeah, gross. Um, I well, cool. Do do you want to add? I on? Also, yeah, go ahead. I also wanted to add a little bit detail that was greatly done uh, when Tomas realizes is in his abuela's home back in Mexico, so he knows that he can't be there, he regress and speaks Spanish. And that's because in that moment, he's at his most vulnerable. He needs something that is familiar to him, that is really is the place. He knows it's fake. He knows that's not his abuela's home. So he needs something that can anchor him. And we know the Spanish is the language is more comfortable with. That's a beautiful detail. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Cool. What? What? The other thing I liked about that scene is is the fact that Pazuzu knew exactly where to take Tomas, exactly to the last place he wanted to be, the place that he felt the most guilt for, and it's he's he feels he's got so much guilt left over, and that's the one thing he's been running away from like this guilt that's been haunting him. And Pazuzu knows exactly where to take him to make him feel the most vulnerable. And what's also quite sick on Pazuzu's part is how Pazuzu acts to Tomas's body when he's all passed out, like the beautiful, like caressing motherly strokes on, on the head. It's like, ah, oh, you, do you remember like what it was like to be an innocent child and someone is mothering you and looking after you and 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 that's being translated into his dreamscape where he's remembering what it meant to be a child and innocent and touched in a loving way. But obviously it's a corrupted yes. touch. Um, of course it's corrupted because she lovingly hands over a knife to him. Yeah. <laughs> in a gentle way. <laughs> totally gentle. Come on. We... Uh, do we want to talk about how sick Pazuzu is is nurturing is almost motherly like like Zoe said, and he brings Tomas back at his abuela's house, and then we find out that the one person who loved Tomas like no one else, because when he has lost his, his parents, he has lost his whole family and his roots. And he didn't even come back when she got sick. He was running away. He never turned back. He didn't... He, we feel like almost he didn't care. He just wanted to leave his Mexican life behind. He wanted to escape. He wanted nothing to do with that life again. Absolutely. Which is why I think it's genius that Slater wrote in the fact when Thomas is first looking around, he's like, I know who you are. You're the demon. And he goes, no, I'm not. The this is you. So this is his, all of his shames, all of his insecurities just being projected back on him into his face visually uh, that he abandoned his Mexican 
family. He 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 believes that he is this special person that was chosen by God, which, uh-uh-uh, you lied about that, Tomas. You did not actually get the call. So all of that is being forced into him. So again, it's that idea of you're going to be plunged as a hero into the darkest depths of hell before you can climb back out. I love that. Absolutely. And there is a possibility for you to fail. A real, con- a real, real physical possibility for you to fail because the one thing you are facing right now is your failure and it's the hardest thing to face and to overcome so the possibility for you to fail is real is strong and is weighing down on you is wrapping is it's wrapped around you like a cloak and it's not so sure you are strong enough now to overpower that kind of consciousness and that's and that's horror that's what i love about this show it is throwing horrific ideas and and things that are true to us as people in our faces our own insecurities and then it turns it into this nasty visual art like the 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 abuela herself the way that they create her into this we've got to talk about this rotting visual that they have for her 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 hair is coming out. You hear the teeth rattling in her mouth as she spits it out on the floor. She's coughing blood. You see the blood. You see that monster turn. And of course, boom, right in the camera's face, the big reveal of the horrific face with the maggots and the eye sockets. Yeah, stuff of nightmares. Yeah, full corpse. And it's like, yeah, her death and decay all there for Tomas to kind of see and experience and feel extra guilt over. One of the things I always took from this scene is no matter what like decisions Tomas made after this or during the show and the mistakes he made, that was like his original sin. That was the first big sin that he's carried with and the thing that he's been trying to escape from. And that, that yeah, that whole thing is that like he had to learn to forgive himself for that before he could even find the power to fight back. So in a way, Pazuzu's, I always feel like it's Pazuzu's vanity that gets in the way. And Pazuzu's vanity at kind of going, look at this horrible thing you did. Look at this sin that you created. Wallow in your shame and your filth. And But by doing that, it actually gave Tomas enough strength to, underestimated Tomas's like basically strength to forgive himself and therefore gave Tomas the power to fight him back. Yeah. Vanity. Yes. This is, yes. This is his biggest mistake. Because... Um, like demon Thomas, uh, demon Marcus tells him, uh, the real Marcus warned him about uh, what to be an exorcist could could be. He had to lose everything. He had too much to lose in that moment. In the beginning, Thomas was the one who really had everything to lose. There is nothing else left for him, and in this moment, he is ready to reborn as an exorcist. Pazuzu doesn't see this moment. Pazuzu doesn't see that he's giving Tomas the weapons with which Tomas is going to defeat him. Exactly, because you have to have that darkness to understand what that light part is of you. So he, when Tomas is at this very climactic sequence at the end where he says, you know, you say that I'm these, these things, but actually I have faith. I have hope. 
and I have love. I mean, that was the demon mistake number one. How could you even think that putting the disguise of Marcus was going to turn Thomas away? If anything, it's going to turn him to more into the idea of who do I love? Oh, yeah, it's Marcus. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> fight for him. Yeah. I'll fight for him. He's beautiful. <laughs> so I just, I just love that you know, he finds that strength from things that others would see as a weakness. And, and that's, again, goes back to that triumph of the good over evil. And that's where I, again, where I was like jumping up and screaming. And <laughs> my husband's laughing at me because I got this shit eating grin on my face. I'm like, <laughs> he's fighting. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all just like, oh, my notes are wonderful things about like the rise of Thomas and accepting his sins and actually yeah. that his human failings give him strength. And I like the idea that I know there's a quote around it, but I can't remember. But that, like, when you lose everything, it just just shows you how much more you've got to fight for. And so, like, by losing like Amen. absolutely everything and hitting that rock bottom, it's just a clear slate, and therefore you can see the good that's ahead of you so much easier, and realize just like you've got to step up and and get there. And I think that scene, that whole scene, is so powerful for that. Amen. Yeah, because in the end, the hero doesn't fight for himself the hero fights for the greatest good so the hero has lost everything he knows what it feels to lose everything and he doesn't want other people going through the pain and sorrow and loss he felt and survived that's why he will always fight with everything he has inside to stop other people from suffering like he did and that's what a real hero is someone who will sacrifice himself because he knows on his skin what it feels what it means to lose everything and i think this episode has two of the greatest lines in the entire series in this one episode right to that theme of of needing to keep fighting and the one is the is the now famous one where marcus is speaking with uh casey at the end and says that's the deal we make in this world the bastards don't get to win and and it's just you know it captures everything that tomas is doing here with demon marcus with his own internal demons um it captures everything that we have with angela rance versus her own demons it's powerful and I think that's why a lot of people just you know feel so deeply for this because if you've gone through some some hard times this is why you keep fighting yeah yeah it's a really nice message I think we should we should um, focus for a moment over how uh, gentle and sweet and almost fatherly like brotherly like almost like a lover too is the demon treating Thomas while he is luring him into committing one of the biggest sin for a Catholic person. So he's luring Thomas to commit suicide because he knows, Pazuzu knows that that's the only way his immortal soul will be trapped in hell for eternity because suicide is a capital sin a priest committing suicide doesn't have any chance to be forgiven it, they capture that seduction really well this the real the real world seduction of of committing suicide of of the it 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 seems like the an answer to 
those problems. You are not alone. I'm here with you. You won't be alone. You don't have to suffer anymore. Let me take care of you. And then Tomas would have lost his soul for good because. Wow. Oh, excellent. Excellent notation, Guy. I'm glad you brought that up because that's a big part of this sequence. (laughs) Well, let's get to it then. Let's get to a character near and dear to our hearts. We have Bennett. We have Marcus, real world Marcus, and Brother Simon, along with Maria in the scene that has them in that creepy warehouse. And uh, Brother Simon is now seducing Marcus and Bennett to join the dark side. Uh, Lots happen. In this in, in this yeah. part, where were we here in this epic moment? But first, I mean, first time watching it, Bennett's yeah. alive. Like I didn't yeah. think he was going to be alive, and I was like, oh, oh, he's still there. He's still there. Come on. <laughs> yeah, Let's same. be honest here for a moment. Demon Marcus has a lot more chances to seduce Tomas than Brother Simon has to seduce both Marcus and Bennett. Oh, yeah. Come on, let's be honest. Let's be yeah. honest here. And yes. Yeah, how many fics have already been written with Demon Marcus seducing Tomas? Yeah. I mean, yeah. countless. <laughs> countless fiction. He really wants some of that Marcus guy, but he's just like, yeah, no, Marcus no. is not putting no. out for that. No, no, no. 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 <laughs> But he does, uh, there, or there is a point where you think Marcus may, he kind of entertains yeah. the, what Brother Simon yeah. is selling him. He Doesn't he even at one point, he looks at Bennett, he's like, no, well, he does have a, he, not he's only. not wrong. But, but I read that scene in another way. When Bennett says, uh, he's lying, he says, no, he's not. Marcus says, no, he's not. But I don't think he's... I don't think That's he's talking about the excommunication. I think Bennett doesn't know that Marcus killed his father. And that's how all his life with the church began. So in truth, uh, Marcus is never giving Simon any satisfaction. He's just telling Bennett, no, he's not oh. wrong. Yeah, I killed my father. It's, it's not about not the pain caused by is excommunication because we find out a few moments later that his loyalty, his love, his life doesn't belong to to the church, don't belong to the church. They belong to God himself. So that's, when I said that there were two of the best quotes in the entire series in this one episode alone, it's exactly in this moment where we have the famous now elephant Shouty scene <laughs> with Brother Simon. <laughs> even, even Brother Simon, he start when he starts telling the story of the six blind men, or, and Brother Simon's like, "Yeah, I've heard this story." And I'm like, "But Marcus is going to build up to something pretty epic right here." And sure yeah. enough, he does not disappoint his fans when he's like, "I didn't see the trunk or the leg. I saw the whole damn elephant." <laughs> I'm going, yes. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. This is what I'm Absolutely. here for. <laughs> oh, I love a big, beautiful Marcus moment. And him, yeah, shouting a demon down, going, ha, I saw the whole damn elephant. <laughs> it's just like, oh, it just makes you kind of be like, because at first I remember when he started telling the story, and I'm like, well, I haven't heard this story. Why the fuck are you talking about an elephant? And I'm just like, even rewatching it, I couldn't quite remember where it was going. And I'm sitting right. there going, I'm as confused as Simon's is at this point. Okay, you're going into a room, we're all touching up an elephant. I mean, like, I don't quite know where this is going to go. Right, right. And he's like, oh, ah, okay, yes. The climax <laughs> makes sense. Good. Good metaphor. 
Oh, oh, but oh, one thing that I noted here on on this scene was how Brother Simon. This is a small thing, but I was like, ew, gross. Was when he cuts what? Bennett and cuts Marcus, and afterwards he just yeah. licks the knife. Licks the knife. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ew. He's trying to do that like sexy evil yeah. thing, and he yeah. just can't pull it off. Yeah. He's just like, oh yeah, I'm evil, but I'm also hot. You're totally gonna no, join my no, side. No, no. And you're like, no, dude. No, 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 no. no. You're producing no. You one. don't even like, have cookies. I mean, you don't even have cookies, even... so why should I join the, your dark side? <laughs> cookies? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Pazuzu yeah. has far more, like, seductiveness within, like, you can see the temptation there. Simon's is just like, nope. No, I'm just thinking, like, in, 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 demon, in demon seduction training 101, are they in school just like, remember, when you want to seduce a human to join the dark side, A, lick knives, B, bring cookies. Like, what is the, what is the, <laughs> what is the list? So, like the very famous shirt <laughs> always says, join the dark side, we have cookies. Oh, cookies that's what are that was. always okay. a fundamental part of corruption. I was a little lost, okay, but now, I, now I'm found, okay. <laughs> cookies are the best way to corrupt. Uh, guys, oh, I, didn't, I think he definitely read, like, the classic villain handbook, though, like, what... What to definitely do when you're trying to destroy your your heroes? Leave them in a room together and walk away. Yeah, like, yeah. Alive. Yeah, yeah. Leave yeah, them alive and walk idea. away. <laughs> but yeah, but he also did the other classic mistake. He did what? the other classic mistake of bitching at the female like character. Like when you go in and go, well, he essentially just calls her a cow. Yeah. And goes. Yeah, she did all this work for you. It's 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 basically it's Lex Luthor and Lex Mr. Luthor. Oh all God, over again, Lex all over again from the Superman movie. <laughs> yes, absolute shit to her. And in the end, she's like, "Screw it, then I'm just gonna get it for myself. I'll help Superman." Like, dude, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like. Don't go pissing off the women. They hold all the power secretly because they're far more cunning and they don't go around like licking things and yeah. they bring food to the party. <laughs> like, you know, she's done all the fucking work. And it's like, oh, your demons are so vain. Oh. Don't, yeah, don't call not Maria a cat. She's going to be like, nah, fine, I'm eating this buffet. Not only. <laughs> he was still very bitter about what Angela did to him because Pazuzu wearing Angela's body. Yeah. Angela is a very powerful woman with Pazuzu and without Pazuzu, of course. So he was still bitter and he did what every coward would do. He turns against the weakest person in the room, who is Maria, mm -hmm. and put her in her place because Maria is so used. Once again, we see Maria as a victim of abuse because she is so used mm -hmm. to being told she is not worth it. She is not good enough. Is such an abuser that he turned around. He turns against Maria to put her in her place because she is the only one he can actually control. Oh yeah, the, the, the next bit is the fact that um, when Marcus is talking to, um, I was trying to provoke Maria into trying to get yeah. her to make that choice. Oh, And oh, she yes. starts comparing yeah. her to Renfield Renf from the Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes. Mm -hmm. No, indeed. Because it's very clear that the demon wanted Bennett the demon the demon yes. was targeting Bennett. Yeah. He wanted Bennett as his host. 
but then Maria went and took his right, place cause... and he was like distracted for a moment and he went to Maria, but it, it's pretty clear that yeah. even the demon was like, mm, am I doing the right thing right here? Can, can, can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just floating around part spider arms. I love how well the, the visual effects people were. They did a really good job because I'm sure the direction that they got was make this ghost floaty thingy look like it has, uh, <laughs> like it's confused. So how do you make ghost floaty thingy look confused? It kind of floats over to Bennett. It kind of floats over to Maria. <laughs> so they did. <laughs> but I got, well, we have to talk about, I mean, it's Marcus, the one, it, again, his badassness as an exorcist to realize what's yeah. happening. And when he sees Bennett having that faraway look in his one <laughs> eye that's still working and sees that, you know, he's hearing his sister, he's hearing Anna and he's going, crap, I got to think fast. What can I do? And his like exorcist instincts immediately go to Maria. And he, that's when he goes in the Renfield yeah. bit. I'm like, yes, yeah. like Marcus, you, you smart, oh. you smart. Oh. So clever. He's Absolutely. very, very smart. He has got he has got yeah. that wonderful silver tongue that as well that he can like man, I mean he manages to convince Maria to yeah and he, take he's not even game. guilt about and, that yeah. because he knows that Maria wanted to be possessed so if he must choice between Bennett and Maria of course the choice is yeah. not even so hard you wanted this you get this so right, right now. Yes. Uh, right now he's Got not it. even he's using the dirty tricks he learned from demons in 40 years of uh, exorcisms yeah. so uh, do we want to yeah. talk about Bennett amazing legs move when he snaps the neck yeah come on that was a huge <laughs> note <laughs> I, I wrote down like he did this half dead. What a yeah. badass! <laughs> Come yeah, on, yeah, hardcore Brits. <laughs> yeah, but I did, I did mm -hmm. love the, the Marcus Bennett tag team of awesome likeness. It's like, oh, it's like I don't know. There must be some like secret like ninja training camp in like yeah. in the priesthood because <laughs> like they're like, oh yeah, and I'm just gonna break out yeah. his chair. And I'm just gonna like grab you my legs, and I'm just like, and we could do this while we've been tortured. <laughs> and I've got one eye, my wrist is slit, but damn, am I gonna like take you guys down? <laughs> they they were nicely hard. No, they did a good job with their with their fight choreography. And Marcus, you know, he doesn't he like break somebody's face with a piece of the chair like that's still with his arm or did I just imagine yeah. that because <laughs> when he gets up uh, yeah <laughs> it's just like yeah, foo. he had some magical skill it's like yeah I've somehow <laughs> broken out of this chair and now I'm smashing you with this chair and you know half dead half possessed like <laughs> Bennett is all like oh I can do leg locks it's just <laughs> these boys are like you know hardcore yeah hardcore. it was absolute it was absolutely okay. amazing yeah so the next sequence we want to unpack is with Angela in her dreamscape where she is trapped in her own internal um, cage. I, I loved, I loved, loved how they shot this. I loved the homages that they made to other horror with <laughs> when the demon Pazuzu is going through the hallway and he's scratching his hands along the wall. I'm like, thank you, yeah. Freddy Krueger homage. Thank you. Nicely and done. Yeah, I wrote that, yeah. that was what everyone thought. Everyone who knows his horror yeah. knew what was happening. Yeah. 
Then my question to you both is why do you think of all the different kind of uh, sets that could have used to portray this demon dreamscape, why do you think they chose this hallway bedroom idea? You know, that could have been anything. Uh, what horror aims to is to break and shake the foundation of your safety. A child always thinks he is safe in his own bedroom. And even when you grow up, you feel safe in the cocoon of your blankets when you lay down in your bed. So to, sh to, to destroy that safety, that sense of safety is the main goal of every good horror movies. It's the sense of safety that those movies break and shake. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, bedroom has always been yeah, you're totally right. The bedroom has always been the safe spot and everything. You think the bedroom is where... Even like other horror films, like in Scream, they're always forever running upstairs to the bedrooms. It's that instinct to go to the bedroom. And also the use of the corridor is, if you think about it, the corridor is the one part of the house where there's nowhere to hide and nowhere to escape from because it's a corridor joined two rooms or two point, an entry oh. and exit. There's nothing that leads off a corridor people don't put cupboards or desks or sofas anything to get in the way it's just a long run so she's in the bedroom by opening it and facing a corridor if she goes into the corridor she faces pazuzu and pazuzu there's there's, there's no way to not it's it's a completely confined space claustrophobic uses tunnels one one entrant one exit tunneled space and it's that whole question is it safer to stay back in your safe yeah. space or is it worth risking <gasps> moving out down the corridor and not running into the thing that's what a beautiful it? image that is though because isn't that what life is you know we can stay safe in our corners in our homes and not take any risks but when you do when you face that darkness head on when you open that door it's worth it it's worth that fight because you're you're gonna yeah. not only face that demon but you're gonna be better and stronger for it so it's exactly what angela does she goes from her safe space her childhood to being able to open the door and going no i'm coming out and facing you in the corridor and pazuzu no longer has the high ground because now he's trapped in the corridor facing something and he's got nowhere to back out onto himself so he's trapped himself in his own like horror of the making. So here's I, another question for you. So talking about him, then when he, she defeats him and he goes into the hall, into the bedroom, and the door gets closed on him, I interpreted that on my first watch of this as, oh, this means he's not really destroyed. He's just hidden away until you know season five when they're going to bring him back. But then in later interviews, when they were asking the writers, I forget who they asked, but somebody responded, oh no no no, he's gone, he's dead. We interpreted that means he's gone. What? How did y'all take that? I mean, I assumed that. The safe space was a place that she created to hide herself in. And when she walked out of it, she didn't need that anymore. That was something she could throw and put behind her. She literally put it behind her. So by Pazuzu being trapped in a space that she's left behind, he's gone. She's moved past that. She's locked it away. It's thrown away. She doesn't need that space. And that's why he's he, so scared by the end of it all and desperate to be yeah. with her. Because if he's left alone, he's nothing. If he's left behind, if he... She can continue without him, but he can't be powerful without yeah. her. So he's going to waste away like that room is going to waste yeah. away. And it's just, it's gone. I agree. Oh, interesting. Uh, that wow. room yeah. is uh, the place that she creates inside her own mind to protect herself, to protect a real being. Uh, it's uh, 
a defense mechanism that is seen in many victims of extreme abuse and rapes. You create this safe place inside your mind where your abuser cannot enter because that place is usually connected to a safe place you knew before your hell began. It's something related to an happy memory, an happy something that where you felt safe. So it's the sense of safety that protects the victim's mind from being destroyed if the abuser somehow is able to reach for his victim into that safe place, into that safe memory and ruin the sense of safety, that's when we lose the victims of abuse. So locking him into a room that is going to disappear, she claims she is finally free from him because what an abuser believes is that his victim is nothing without him. Angela shows Pazuzu that Pazuzu is the one who is nothing without her. That's why he's so desperate to be left alone. No, that, that's no. I uh, the reason I'm I'm feeling this chills is because it's so it's so true to to what happens in a, in abuse situations is it's actually quite reversed. You know that person is nothing without exactly. that victim's uh, life and strength and spirit, um, and they portray that he's even grasping onto her leg at the very end and and in a very pitiful "Don't leave me" type of. And again, hats off to Robert Luddy who acts this entire character perfectly other chilling moments that stood out was the fact that she opens the door but she's never alone she hears the voices of her family that are that are praying for her and calling out and casey gosh when she gets up and she looks uh, looks at the um, angela's face in the real world and says i know it hurts i know it and, and makes that connection that i have been there too and it's part of what allows her that strength to say that's right i'm not alone in this and and i can overcome this this beast yeah it's there's also the element that i feel like when she's first locked up in that room she's worried about talking to her family again because she feels shame for the decision she made and she feels shame for what her body is doing to her family out there and she feels guilt for allowing the possession to happen, then it reminds her that she, of the guilt she felt for getting possessed in the first place. And she's so wrapped up in that victim mentality that she can't hear the voice of this family that love her going, we don't care about this. It's it's not worth hating yourself over it. We just want you back. And that she can find strength from that to be able to leave that right. room again. And And the way that the family is so for each other in this in this final episode, those the they they reach out to each other. Even gosh, you've got the the father whose arms are literally about to be torn away from him, and he's not thinking about himself. He's shouting at Casey. Casey's about to have to make this choice: so Do I either hammer my sister's leg, or do I let my father have his arms thrown off? And both are shouting, "Don't do it!" And then, of course, full circle again. They're all you know for each other. And then you've got Cat grabbing the hammer and she makes the sacrifice so everybody's constantly thinking about each other and it's i think it's that perfect kind of strength through 
a commitment to each other that they do beautifully in this episode. Um, okay, so in this next discussion, we're going to speak on the kind of real world climactic experience at the very end of this episode with the, the Rance family battling against the demon and all those cool visuals, bringing in the different ways that things just come to a head. So many exciting things. A, the visual of Angela rising up in that very kind of like, yes. oh, way. But the light's coming through and it's so reminiscent of the original film and they homage it beautifully. And they've all got that power in there and the family coming together and all their like love and devotion and their strength is all being channeled. And the scoring is just this really kind of nice piece of scoring. It's not like dark and dramatic. It's actually quite a gentle, like it's all filled with like, I wrote it down, it's like, it feels like a warm yeah. embrace. And it's like, all this darkness is descending, but the song and the, the choice of music just feels like they are trying to embrace and come together and just be warm. And Pazuzu's just obviously losing it because it can't combat that kind of level of like love and respect. Oh my God, yes. And one of the notes I made on this scene is that there's all this shouting aggressive kind of tactics that Tomas is using in his prayers. The family starts chanting the, the Lord's Prayer. And then at the very end, when she's finally about to turn back into her normal self, Thomas transitions to Mother Bernadette's prayer of you are forgiven. Yeah. And I was like, if that ain't the perfect juxtaposition of, of a kind of aggressive male form uh, of, of attack with alongside the strength of the female um, version of, of attacking this demon, then I don't know what is because it was it, it's just done in these highs and lows. It's a it's a balanced. That's the word. It's a balanced climax. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time as that's going on, the beginning of the Pope's procession is going on. So you're feeling all that love of the like the spectators going, yay, the Pope is arriving and everything should just be just like love and goodness. And yet it's kind of they're both teetering on the edge because Pazuzu's not letting go and he's going to do his last FU with like, you know, trying to snap Angela and us going, oh my goodness, is she dead? To the fact that Simons walks up in front of like the Pope and you're like, oh my goodness, everyone's hearing that weird frequency of doom. And we're like, oh, this is not going well. I, th I think Angela might be dead. And I think the Pope's about to be killed. Like, it's yeah. like, cool. And, and the music is trying to make me feel for hope. Editing is also beautiful because in the moment, uh, Tomas points out that the fallen are forgiven. We see Marcus who fall from grace because he was excommunicated, killing the man who wanted oh. to kill the Pope, saving is uh, the Holy Father. So at some point, everything comes to the rightful conclusion. The fallen are forgiven. Thomas is uh, one of the fallen because he was a sinner. Marcus is one of the fallen because he was excommunicated, but they are forgiven. They get back the power to stop the doom from happening. So Thomas is going to save Angela. Uh, Marcus is going to save the Pope. And for a moment, everything is perfect and exactly like it was supposed to be since the beginning. Talking of perfect as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, Marcus turns yeah. up in a black tank top <laughs> and we're like, whoo, 
<laughs> You're bleeding to death. You have time to strip off to a vest, but oh, you know, I'm just like hello. And then I'm like, oh, oh, he was. I mean, I liked him in like you know the white tank tops, but in a black tank top, yeah. I was just like, oh, dude, dude, what are you doing to me? It's the climax. You got to go save the post, but you can do it in slow mo if you like, because I'm good watching for a moment. I just no, no. This the like we have to talk about this black tank top because it's 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 just a really good artistic so good. choice because I again there is the the. The beautifulness of it all that level but again the symbolic side of it of he's stripped down to you know to, yeah. to that core of like who he is i am an exorcist and he's got and you see like the 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 makeup artists have done they've redone yeah. his scratches that are that are true to his character his his self-injury uh story is on his left arm he's got the bite marks on his right you know he's fully exposed with all of this 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 nastiness that he's gone through in his life and he doesn't have any shame in it he's out there he's got the rosary in his hand which is beautifully used as the weapon to finally kill brother simon of course he has to be marcus with his and this is a message from me line i mean come on icing on the cake you have to have a cool little yeah. one-liner at the end slices his neck and all is right yeah, in the world so good and arms 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 <laughs> and arms mm. beautiful arms <laughs> yeah we should take a moment a minute of silence for those arms Come on. <laughs> uh, uh, how about just heavy breathing? A minute of heavy breathing. Just, yeah. Okay, <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> <My God. laughs> no, no, that's actually going to be the opening. <laughs> this is the opening of this episode. <laughs> just as, <Yeah. laughs> as hyperventilating his arms in the black tank. But I was like, oh, I forgot how good that looked. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we could also focus for a moment on uh, Tomas being finally ready to leave everything behind to ask Marcus to train him to be an exorcist because he finally realizes that his real call finally came. Uh, why? When, when Marcus asks him why and Tomas tells him because the moment I defeated the demon, I saw God's real face, Marcus knows he cannot leave Tomas behind. Marcus sees a new himself in this new Tomas and he was alone. He was 12 years old when the call came for him and all his life he was alone. We can, we can suspect that his mentor wasn't as good as an exorcist like Marcus was. So he basically went through his whole life alone he knows his new mission right now is to teach uh, Tomas to be an exorcist because no one ever took the time to teach him and we know his life wasn't an easy one. That doesn't mean that Tomas' life will be easier, no. But at least Tomas will have someone by his side. And it's something that no one did for Marcus. 
So let's enter the writer's room. I know, Zoe, you had mentioned that you had a, a piece to discuss here. So I'm going to throw it over to you. Cool. Basically, it's it's my obsession of color palettes. This episode is just like, oh, oh, look at all the colors. But it's obviously any scenes in the house that has that like that gray scale coloring. So like Pazuzu and the Rance family, it's those grays and everything is muted tones and that like those feelings of coldness and like this is not a place that you really it's not there's no warmth because where it's all being sucked out of there because like you know bad things are going down to the place that as you said like when Tomas is in his dreamscape it's got those kind of like colors as if you're living in a place where a lot of sun comes through the window so it's like it's old and it's rustic colors so you know that it's a past place you know it's a foreign place and a warm place um so it's all got those kind of like it's not as isolating as cold as the Rance's house, but it's trying to pretend to be familiar and give him a sense of like, this is a real location. Then it juxtaposes to Angela. And when she's first in the bedroom, her safe space is very much the same color scheme. The house has always been. It's those cold grays and muted. But the longer she's in that, the longer that the colors, the, the greens start getting in there. And you just see how things on the walls all start melting and everything looks like damp has set in. And the walls are weeping and the pictures on the walls, you can see the damp patches spreading down the walls as if it's being saturated with like her fear and her anxiety has literally become moisture. And it's all, and it's very reminiscent of that beautiful Asian film that I love, Dark Water. And the whole like the mother's isolation and her her fears for her family and herself and her fears of the entity manifest as like a damp spot on the ceiling. And then you open it up to that corridor and the corridor lighting reminds me if you've ever been out walking by yourself and you're caught in streetlights. Now, I don't know about America as much as I know about British streetlights, but ours glow oh. orange. So, you know, when you walk down the, the things and you get there's it's everything's bathed yeah. in that orange light and you just feel so uncomfortable because it's just like, oh... Like, yeah, it's just like that orange light always makes you feel of just walking yeah. alone at night. And the corridor is so fiercely ambers and browns. And it's everything that I've been talking about, earth tones and pus and decay. And then by that point, Pazuzu just looks like he's mm -hmm. just caked in mud. There's just this entity created of all the decay that he's been collecting this entire series. And he's just the culmination of all of that nasty stuff. And yeah, it's all those all those color schemes that are just so absolutely brilliant like vibrant colors cold colors and then the thing that you notice so badly is that epilogue and just how everything natural. is natural there's been no filters have been put on the lenses they've it's, it's one of the few times that there's no filters so there's they've not muted any of the colors they've not reimbursed any of the colors and everything just looks fresh and real is it and is it autumn is it autumn like fall good. colors yeah yeah it's full colors but rather than like the decay part you can still yeah. see the greens and the ground it's everything that yes. people love about autumn it's how colorful and beautiful the autumn season is and you just like after seeing so many cold grayscapes earthy pussy dark space and harsh lighting it's just naturally lit without filters on the camera it's just that's what nature looks like that's like a, a literal breath of fresh air <laughs> like you just and it's just like yeah and i just i just love the fact that for that last scene they just went yeah. 
And awesome. here is natural lighting. Oh, that's All awesome. All is good in the world. Zoe, thank you. No, I, yeah, that, that puts a whole new light, no pun intended, on, onto this whole way that they have, have, <laughs> have chosen the, the ambiance here. It's, uh, again, skills, uh, incredibly skillful cast and crew. This crew is Absolutely. just yeah. amazing. I have the meaning of number 12. Oh, yes, yes, the number. <laughs> Because uh, we, during this episode, we hear Kat remind Pazuzu that a 12 years old defeated him. And we know um, Marcus was, was 12 when he faced a demon for the first time. So uh, this is not a case. It's not a number chosen by chance but it's a number with a very precise meaning in the Catholic numerology. 12 is the number of totality, 12 apostles who represented the 12 tribes of Israel, the heavenly Jerusalem that will come when the judgment day will come, uh, will have 12 doors represented by 12 angels, but it's also the number of maturity. Angela was 12 when she, she was possessed. Angela will become the maturity and the foundation of her own family. Marcus was 12, he was mature enough to begin his path as an exorcist, but he's also going to be the foundation of a new exorcist life when the corrupted church would close down the office of the exorcism. Marcus will be the one burdened with the task to train a new exorcist that possibly will have to train other new exorcists. So 12 years old means that they were mature enough to start that part in life. Oh, that's, that's, that's so deep. Guy, thank you so much because, you know, I think of it just simply as like with the beginning of teenager world and you're going through your own kind of puberty transitions, but it has so much more meaning biblically too. And, and, and historically that is that's fantastic. Oh man. My mind is blown again. Always. <laughs> we aim to please like always. In this next segment, we're going to talk about our fun facts and how we are also still campaigning to save the exorcist, give you updates on where the fandom is with that. Cause we are still fighting. Did you all know that? I think this is a, is a common knowledge for fan kind of thing that only Gina Davis and Jeremy Slater knew about that twist that was happening with her being Regan the whole time. Did y'all know that they were the only, yeah, that, that's a common one. So apparently I found in an interview with Robert Emmett Lunny, the, the actor who plays the salesman that he also <laughs> didn't really know who he was playing <laughs> until, until later. Yeah. Well, he knew that he was going to be demon, oh, really? but I yeah. guess uh, better to quote him. He said, um, I didn't know that what I was getting myself into, but it allowed me to be truthful to the script at hand and not to fret over playing an iconic, an iconic character from horror legend, which I think was interesting because he, he's, 
which I think a lot of the cast did is they entered into these roles just kind of going, okay, let's try this out. I didn't know it was going to be this deep. But then when you get thrust into it and, and it challenges you to be in this, in this person, in this character of something so different from who you are, I just can't imagine what that felt like. It must be like the coolest experience as an actor. (laughs) The second fun fact is, uh, it's from Bloody Disgusting, uh, is on Marcus's sexuality. Ben Daniels talks a little bit. About, so for Marcus's sexuality, whatever it may turn out to be, it has no shame attached to it. Uh, this is his words, Ben Daniels. He says, it doesn't bother him. He doesn't see it as a sin. I think Marcus, as well as having his own version of the Bible, has his own version of Catholicism. So he basically is, is speaking a bit to how the demon is never able to use that his sexuality against him. I think we've uh, talked about that and we got that feeling from watching him live this character, but it was cool that that's how they approached it. You know, this isn't something to be um, ashamed of and it's just who he is and it doesn't, but it's not his entire identity as well. So I just think, I think it's cool to hear it direct from the actor as well. As far as the uh, save the exorcist campaign update, to those listening, do know that this coming Wednesday, so we have weekly Wednesday social media campaigns where we are each focusing on a different streaming service. Last week was the Hulu campaign, so a lot of people were tweeting, writing letters to Hulu. But this Wednesday, which is going to be May 23rd, 2018, <laughs> is our Amazon Prime social media focus. So the way that people can participate, if you would like to help with this campaign, is to tweet at Prime Video. Use the hashtag Save the Exorcist. Use the hashtag Prime Save the Exorcist. Um, And in addition, if you want to find more details to how to participate and how you can help, go to the Tumblr at Vulcantastic, and she'll have all those social media campaign updates for you. Um, I know Mary and quite a few other fans are posting a lot on the Facebook groups, on Twitter, um, on Tumblr, but those are uh, kind of two primary resources to look out for on that Tumblr and on uh, Mary's Facebook postings. If you're not in the Facebook groups, join them. You know, Google the Facebook group for The Exorcist or DM any one of us. I can share you the um, the links to to join all those groups. So, um, And then Exorcist shout out spotlight of this week. I would like to showcase at Agni and it's spelled as at A underscore G underscore N underscore I. And this person does a lot also for the tweetathons and is involved in a lot of those kind of core uh, fandom Save the Exorcist campaign tweakings and making sure that we have a pretty organized group going out there. So just going to do a shout out and thank you to that individual in addition to everybody that's out there still fighting and being vocal for the show. Yeah. 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 Well, that wraps our final our final yeah. episode of this Thank whole you. season. Thank you to everybody listening. We have some cool ideas in store, cool ideas for uh, bonus episodes and interviews coming up. And awesome. uh, thank you for all the support and the love. Thank I you. couldn't do it without you all. Appreciate it. Thank you. Woo, we did it. Awesome. Yay. Yay.